turn to James in chapter 3, and we're going to pick up on the verse that we finished with last week, and we're going to continue reading all the way down to verse 13. So we'll be in James in chapter 3. I'll give you a few moments to get there this evening. Uh, James in chapter 3, and then once you get there, uh, we're going to be in, begin reading in verse 4. In verse 4. And uh, we're going to try to continue to con- con- collect my thoughts and uh, stay focused this evening. I spent quite a <clears throat> detailed time this afternoon and later on this morning um, in working on Sunday's sermon, and uh, actually Sunday's sermon for the other location, which will be here uh, a week from this coming uh, Sunday. And uh, I'm going to try to keep my mind from rearing back into that mode and that particular topic, if you will. And um, so nevertheless, guys, so James chapter 3, looking at verse 4 with me tonight. Uh, the Bible says, Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they uh, turned about with a great, with a small, very small hound, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of bird, and of serpent, and of, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and curse, and my brethren, these things ought not to be so, not, not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and uh, meekness of wisdom. So guys, the past couple of weeks, we've looked at this little sermon mini-series, if you will, uh, on communication. And tonight we're going to get into part three of this, this, uh, this series, if you will. And the communication we've been looking at in, in life uh, that's building upon James's edification that we find here, both in chapter one as well as in chapter three. Not only is it edification that he gives us, but it's exhortation as well. And so we come back to the importance of words and how we use them. And, and we understand, as we've said so often, we're brother, uh, borrowing Brother Mike's uh, quote, that, that words build the world. Words build the world. And uh, they can either be used for construction or they can be used for destruction. They can be used for a help or they can be used for a hindrance. Words can be used for lifting up or lowering down. But at the end of the day, how and what we say reveals our heart as well as our spirituality. Our words are either going to be heavenly, my friend, or they're going to be hellish, one of the two. Bernard Shaw said the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. And that's really the point. I tried to drive home on week one that communication is a two-way street. We think that we have communication often, many a times, but so often the communication is a non-factor. It doesn't exist because two people did not uh, receive, did not decode, and, and did not give the, the message out uh, the way they'd intended. So last week we ended with focusing on how small things can move 
big things. And James uses the illustration here of a bit in a horse's mouth and a rudder on a great ship. This tongue, guys, is a powerful entity. It's like that rudder on that ship. It may be small, uh, but despite the winds and the storms of life, that rudder can control the size of a ship hundreds of times the size of the rudder. We see the same thing. Despite the situations in our life, guys, despite uh, circumstances and problems and things that come our way, that tongue can control the direction those situations go in, whether they're worsen or whether they're made better. The winds are seemingly unbearable, but the tongue, guys, our words can hold the pace and move forward. So understanding all that we discussed last week and the week before, as well as what we've said in the onset here tonight on the front end, if you will, I believe it should be clearly understood that not only uh, the power of speech, but the strength of silence is vitally important. How we listen and how we take in what other, the other person is saying is beneficial. And, and oftentimes, listening is more beneficial than speaking. That's why we always say, God gave us two ears and one mouth. We should listen twice as often as we speak. We need to remember, guys, that if we do not listen to the other person, if we do not take in what they're saying, if we don't stop finishing their sentences or drifting off in our mind about some over-relating story, we're not communicating. We're just talking. That's all it is. It's just talking. If you've ever been in a room and you've kind of sat back on the outside of a group of people that are talking, and if you actually just start watching them, I do this in reception all the time around the little coffee uh, the, the coffee shop there, and I just watch these people just chatting and talking and talking, and, just, and they're just, what they're doing is they're competing with one another. They're not having a conversation. One's talking, another's talking, another's, no one's listening. They're all just chatting. You see what I'm saying? And, and guys, and whereas that may be pretty nice, um, to blow off steam, it may be nice to just have that camaraderie, it's not communication. And we need to understand that words build the world guys we need to remember that and if they do build the words the, the world if words do build the world without proper communication the world will fall apart let's look around in our our society today look around in our world today would you say our world is better today than it was 10 years ago no 20 years ago nope 30 40 50 hey i understand there are some good things we have uh, in our world today indoor plumbing's a good thing we all like that Heating and cooling, even though it doesn't feel like we have heat in here in the wintertime. I mean, those are all good things to have today. But as a society, we are not better today than we were many years ago. The breakdown of the family nuclei is worse than ever. Curriculum in our schools are teaching things which uh, do not even belong being published or even mentioned in back alleys. I mean, churches have become a joke to the world today. What was once a safe haven to, uh, is now a place where there is no doctrine, there's no biblical representation, there's no devotion, there's not even a sacredness anymore to the majority of so-called churches in our area. And what we are willing to tolerate, this is what we need to understand, what you and I are willing to tolerate will eventually become our standard. If our communication is tolerated being subpar in the fact that it's either delinquent or derelict, what is going to happen to our world? Verse, uh, Brother Kelton and I were discussing this afternoon, Psalm, uh, Psalm 11, verse 3. We use this verse quite often. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And we so often hear this verse quoted by those who address the downfall of civilization. And I understand why. I understand why we use this verse and we say this verse, but uh, it's okay if you use that as a standalone verse. It, it's, it's not doctrinal. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that. Um, you know, it, you're, you're misplacing that verse when you're using it as a standalone verse to try to address uh, issues in our world today. 
Doctrinally speaking, the context of this verse is, uh, is locked into the three previous verses, uh, which the psalmist is standing right in the middle of Matthew 24, 16. Now, we just finished our series on dispensationalism here a couple of weeks back. You know, as I know, Matthew 24, 16 is, and, uh, and, uh, is a tribulational verse pertaining to the nation of Israel, doctrinally. All right? I want you to understand that. When I say doctrinally, all right? But from a sermonic view, meaning the, uh, a standpoint, if you will, in the midst of a sermon or a practical application, when the foundations of biblical Christianity are torn down, the Christian can pray and preach out of season. Out of season, okay? We see this commanded in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Now, a lot of times, preachers have used this verse as, well, when you don't feel like preaching, you just got to go preach anyway. Or when you're sick, you got to go preach anyway. That's not what that means. There are sometimes, guys, spiritually speaking, we are in season, the church is in season, the community is in season, the country is in season, and you get in that pulpit, and you can just rock it. You can bring the word of God. It's received with gladness. Lives are changed. Hearts are turned. And it's all great and wonderful. And those days are nice, but those days are few and far between. And then there's times about being out of season. This means that the word of God can and must be preached biblically and doctrinally. Now I say preach biblically and doctrinally. How do we preach today? With words, through communication, do we not? Despite the foundations being destroyed, the word of God can and will stand alone. The truth and its purity will stand by itself if it is preached. Again, out of season, guys, okay? I saw a... I wasn't going to mention this, but I'm going to now. Anyway. So we saw an advert the other day, all right? So we're talking about the foundations being destroyed, yeah? And we saw an advert the other day for a new church plant, all right, in the area. All right? In the new... It, it, this is an advert. Now, when we planted a church, we didn't put an ad out in the community inviting people to come and be workers in our church, Okay? That's not what we did. We planted a church right here. First service was on a Wednesday, the day after we arrived in our house. The next service was Sunday morning. Full-blown services, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday morning, Wednesday night. Youth club a week later on a Friday night. That's what we did, okay? We didn't ask people in the community to, hey, come work with us. We don't know you. And you don't put an advert out inviting people to come be church workers in your new church plant. There was zero doctrinal separation, zero biblical standards, zero requirement of eternal salvation. Hey, man, just come in, whoever you are, and work with the kids. I don't think so. I don't think so. But, beloved, that's where we are today when the foundations of biblical Christianity have been torn down. The communication, guys, goes awry, if you will. Now, other than preaching and praying out of season, there's some other things you can do when the foundations are destroyed. There's some other things. You, can, you know what you can do? You can rebuild the foundations. Amen? That's what we have done. That's what we are doing here. It's what we've done for nearly nine years now is rebuild the foundations of biblical Christianity right where we are. You can move out of the house before the roof collapses and go set up shop somewhere else. That's what you can do when the foundations are destroyed. You don't have to just sit around and go, well, the foundation is destroyed. What can the righteous do? Well, you can get off your ever-widened horizon and you can get busy for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you can do. Does that make sense to you tonight? And it's all going to require communication. 
foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ will never be torn down, but the foundations of biblical Christianity can be in a society and a country. You look around at the world today, it's very easy to see that those foundations have been torn down. It's time for us to get busy and make sure we rebuild them up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 tells us, For other foundation can no man lay, which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what are you willing to tolerate tonight to become your standard when it comes to communication in our life? When you, whatever you're willing to tolerate, again, becomes your standard. Words, beloved, how they are used, when they are used, and what they're used for. Build the world, or they tear it down. So real quickly tonight, we're going to look at a few examples this evening from our text. And I want you to notice within the power of the tongue, number one, there is fire. There is fire. Look there with me, if you will, in verses 5 and 6. And the Bible says there in verses 5 and 6, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. I said something last week and we'll revisit that just for about 30, 40 seconds. I told you last week that if you cannot, will not, or at least do not attempt to control what you say or how you say things, if you can't and will not control the tongue, I promise you, you're not controlling the body. I promise you right now that you look at someone who cannot discipline what they say, when they say it, how they say it, I guarantee you in their life they will not discipline themselves physically either. And I'm not talking about a diet now. I, was, I used those examples last week only because those are easy examples. What I'm talking about is everything that the body does. The Bible tells us that the tongue, even though a little member, will defile the whole body. And unless you get that thing under control, it's going to make a wreck of your entire life. Because what you say reveals who and what you are. When we open our mouth and stick out our tongue and we move it around, it shows us what's going on inside of our body, our heart, our mind, and everything else in our life. It's a fire, James says. I remember back in um, April 2015, and uh, Rylan, you'll probably remember this as well, um, that there were over 600 fires in the month of April um, in 2015 in a three-week period of time. Over 600. I, I want to say there were 660-some-odd, but I'm just going to say over 600. I forgot the exact number. In a three-week period of the month of April of 2015, most of which was set by teenagers on purpose, if you will. Same with the tongue, guys. It doesn't take much to start a flaming fire with the words of our tongue. James says it's a world of iniquity. After, after he states that it's a fire, fire will go where the wind blows it. If you've ever studied Western civilization and uh, far, you know modern Western civilization, and I'm going back to you know, a couple hundred years ago, uh, when they pioneered uh, the American West, uh, they would have these prairie fires that would break out, and the wind would carry those things. You could not outrun these prairie fires. You could not outrun it. There's only two things that you could do to spare your life. Number one, you could start a fire around you, okay? And then once you got into that dead area there, you may, and this is the emphasis, you may be spared by the prairie fire that's coming. Or you could turn and run at it directly and try to get through it as quick as possible and spare who and what you have. One of the two things. But fire will go which way the wind blows it. It'll go wherever it is and wherever the wind takes you. And we have to understand, guys, that a fire, when it goes, many times, the fire that is started by the tongue is only exacerbated by the multitude of words which follow blowing and stoking the flames of iniquity in 
our life and those that are around us. Just one word, guys, can change the direction of a family, a marriage, a relationship, a business, a church, a community, a whole nation. I was trying to do some research uh, early this morning on one words that were, that were used in politics that changed the direction of the political outcome. And, and you, you'd be amazed, and I decided not to use them tonight, but you would be amazed to see one little word that was dropped by a reporter, one little word that was dropped by a party, it, one little word that was dropped, and it changed the direction of everything. In governments and wars and all of these different things, we have seen the same thing happen just by the power of one word. Now, that's the negative side of it. In 1999, there were a few authors who discovered a, a better way, uh, a better way that they could uh, could best uh, live in a life that that was of impact, I should say, a life that would impact others. And instead of creating like these endless goals, and we call them resolutions, I know in the front end of the year, and I hate that word, but they they found one word would be their driving force for the entire year. No goals, no wish list, just one word, and that would be the changing force of their next 12 months and how it would impact their lives and impact the lives of others. The simple power of this one word impacts all six dimensions of our life, mental, physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, and financial. Simply put, guys, here's what happens, and here's the difference. Instead of having a list of goals, trying to chunk it out over the next four quarters of the year, what you do is you choose one word for your next 12 months. You choose that word, and that word affects all six dimensions in your life and has an impact on your life. And guess what happens? You have, a lot, you have an impact on the lives of others, a positive impact. How powerful, guys, one word can be. How powerful is the word love? Changing eternity now, didn't it? How powerful is the word sacrifice? How powerful is the word cross, burial, resurrection? All singular words, all one words. And yet it changed and impacted an entire race of people. There are fire in our, there's fire in our tongue and fire in our words. Now fire, guys, is used for heat. It it doesn't have to be all negative. If you'll control it, if you'll bridle it, if you'll put that bit in there, that rudder, and allow your words to be controlled for a positive manner. We use fire all the time, don't we? We use it for heat. We use it for comfort. We use it for all kinds of things. We, I mean, uh, we use it for fuel. We have, most of us drive combustible engines. There's a fire, a little bitty fire that happened over and over and over that propelled that car uh, forward. Matter of fact, fire is used for energy. It's even used to cleanse, guys. Fire is important. Or fire can be used to destroy, condemn, remove, and judge. Do you know where the determining factor is of where that fire or how it's used in your life, it's your choice. It's your choice in what words and how you say them come out of your mouth revealing what is in your heart. So what does James say again about the tongue? Not only is it a fire, but now we get really negative. He says it's full. It's full of what? Deadly poison, man. Deadly poison. Now, when I read this verse, every time I read this verse, I think of that spitting cobra. You know, you're seeing spitting, you can spit like venom, uh, I guess it's venom. They spit it like 20-some-odd feet, and it blinds their prey or whoever they're sh- shooting that stuff at. And uh, I think about that. And, and I wonder sometimes that in the spiritual realm, when, you know, when the Lord or the angels are looking at us, 
yippee, 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 where our tongues are just a flapping. I wonder sometimes if we look like that spitting cobra, spitting out words of condemnation upon people. Look at verse 7 with me tonight. For every kind of beast and a bird and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. The guys, a poison is a toxin. It's a toxin that acts as an antigen in the body, uh, which is, uh, is a recognized foreign substance causing the immune system to have a response. That's our definition of what poison is. Now, poison kills you. The fact of the matter is a poison is a toxin that kills. And, and many toxins uh, that people take in on a daily basis, guys, such as alcohol, which has long been proved to lower the lifespan, shrink the brain, and traditionally, frankly, cause souls to commit uh, what is truly in their heart, uh, just as alcohol will lower and, uh, or remove inhibition control within the frontal lobe uh, of our brain, our words can, do, can be the same way. We can get drunk on our pride, drunk on our issues, drunk on our own thoughts, and we can spew these words out as an unruly evil full of deadly poison. I mean, we, can, you know, we can say what we want to about inhibitions being removed with those that take in alcohol. And that's what it does. It affects the frontal lobe first, dehydrates your brain, shuts down your, anti, your, your ADH, your antidiuretic hormone, and your body's dehydrated. But the brain's the first thing that dehydrates in any time. That's why people have hallucinations when they're dehydrated. So I'm saying all that to say you this. We're no better nor different if our inhibitions are gone away and we just start spewing words out like this deadly poison, like that viper, if you will, that's spatting out poison upon its prey. This is why, uh, you know, a comparison is given about bridling the tongue. We took Bailey on the horseback riding yesterday. Uh, Denise and I did. It was a great time. They had that snaffle bit inside uh, the mouth. And, uh, you know, wherever, except for when we wanted a canter, other than that, wherever we pulled, that's where that horse went, you know. And uh, we had a good time, real good time. But that, that's what it is. Bridling means to control. Think about it, what we say, why. Because, guys, once it's out, it's done. There's no, there's no catching it and getting it back in. I remember uh, early on in the youth club, back, this would have been probably 2015, when the majority of our youth were teenagers from another village. We would bust about 14 girls in, and I think at the time we were running about 20-some-odd people here in the youth club. Majority of them were teens. Ryland was here. He was, he was about 9 or 10 at the time, and a few other young ones. But we, I gave them the toothpaste test, and most of you guys remember the toothpaste challenge, and, and I'd break them up into two lines, and and uh, you had this line here, and, and, and the battle was, okay, each team had to choose someone that could get the toothpaste out of the tube the quickest, all right? And, uh, man, they got up there, and we, you know, we really fired it up and this and that, and they got their tubes of toothpaste, man, and they made a mess. It went all over their hands. It went all over the bowl that they were trying to put it. It was everywhere. I said, all right, contestant number two, now here's your job. This is where you're really going to win. You've got to put the toothpaste back in the tube. You want to talk about a mess, man. They had this stuff everywhere, all over their hands, all over their clothes, all, I mean, it was everywhere. And I'm going, I say, what, what's the problem here, you know? And I'm making a joke out of it. Once the toothpaste is out of the tube, <laughs> it doesn't go back in. And that's the same thing with our words. Once they're out, they're done. You're not getting them back in. You're not getting them back in at all. And we need to think about that in our life, guys, because... Our tongue, as James said, is full of deadly poison when we don't bridle it. So be careful. James rebukes our communication, instilling, if you will, or should let us know 
that within this exhortation, within this rebuke, we must have a fear inside of our heart concerning the tongue. Now, you'll understand the fear part here in just a moment, but look at verses 9 through 12 with me real quick. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not uh, so to be, that the fountains send forth a, at the same place sweet water and bitter. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine fig? So can no fountain both yield salt water and, uh, and fresh? Now, again, I, I mentioned this. You'll understand the fear part here in just a moment. We'll get into it here uh, in just seconds away. But I want you to notice the hypocrisy found in verses 9 and 10. James is saying that these things ought not be. Uh, you know, how are we going to bless God? How are we going to praise God? How are we going to pray to God? How are we going to sing our so-called sacred hymns to God uh, with the same mouth and the same tongue cursing every very little thing that was created in his image after the similitude of God? So, beloved, we can witness all we want. We can sing all the right songs all we want. But if you think that you're going to be blessed in your life with a tongue set in a fire of iniquity and spatting out poison, guys, you've got another thing coming. I don't, I don't care who you are on Sunday and Wednesday. I don't care how many ties you wear, and I don't care where your hair is parted. It does not matter if you have a tongue of iniquity that is unbridled, that is not kept in check, that you're not going to filter that thing when you should. God's not going to bless you in your life. Amen. James is quite, I told you, James is a, a punch-you-in-the-mouth type preacher. Now, notice this cursing here that he mentions. Curse we, you know, you know, man. This cursing here is not referring to, say, cussing, as we would say in the States, or swearing, as we say here. That's not what he's talking about, okay? Um, now, swearing's wrong. I'm going to make it very clear. It's wicked and, and it's vile. Those who swear prove that, that they have a revile and a putrid heart. Again, your words reveal what is in your heart. What you're putting in your head is comes into your heart. What comes out of your mouth is what is revealed. So uh, they're revealing what they're made of. Now, guys, before you, uh, you, you agree with what I just said, uh, while you know on the way to church tonight, uh, you know, whatever kind of way that you may have been speaking to one another in the car, the way you shouldn't have, you know, don't get up on your high and mighty horse just because you don't swear. If you're still speaking ill to one another, that's still wrong, Amen. Swear words uh, in a sentence prove the lack of vocabulary uh, from the speaker. It proves that there's a lazy mind and that he, and she, he or she possesses. And by the way, don't tell me, uh, well, I hit my thumb with a hammer and I said, blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you, I degloved this finger and broke it in seven places. I didn't say one word, not one word, okay? And two of my boys were there to prove that, amen? And uh, so I'm just here to tell you that you don't have to swear. That's a choice that you make. I told our coaches one time years ago, uh, if you can't brief a workout without using swear words, you're not going to coach, number one, buy yourself a dictionary. Learn some new words. It ain't that hard, amen? And uh, so, swearing's in the Bible, and swearing is not in the Bible, it says swear words, but the, the condemnation of it is. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetous, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Now watch this, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather given a thanks. So Paul is linking foolish talking and jesting together with covetousness and fornication and uncleanness. So take that one on board tonight. He also says in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now guys, if you're swearing all the time, 
sounding like a weak, insecure little man. Uh, you're not and cannot edify nor minister grace unto the hearers. It does not work that way. Words build the world. They are tools. And if, if you need swear words in your sentence, your statement has no context, and it is better off never being said. Okay? It doesn't make you a tough guy or a tough lady using swear words. It makes you sound illiterate. All right? Now, that may offend some of you. I don't even care. Okay? If somebody's listening to their, I, don't, I could care less. If you swear, guys, you don't have to. It's, you know what a swear word is? It's a fill-in for the word um. The awkward pause in public speech, right? Now, that's, that felt like an eternity just with me right now. But it's just a second, maybe not even a second. Take the pause and trash the, the, uh, the swear words, as well as the word um, too. That's another pet peeve, nonetheless. Now, cursing is a different thing. That's what James is James is not talking about swearing. That was all me. I was just bringing that in with Paul, all right? But James is talking about cursing. Cursing, he says. That's a whole different element altogether. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 15, verse 33. Be not de uh, deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. Now, whereas cussing renders your speech useless, cursing is something else. James says these things ought not so to be. A curse, guys, is when you pronounce harm or evil upon another soul, such as when people use the D word directed toward an individual. Now, that D word is short for the word damnation, or and it's linked to the word condemnation, which is speaking of being damned in the lake of fire for eternity. First off, that's not our job. We don't have the power to do that, and we should not be doing it. That's cursing someone, okay? Secondly, how in the world can someone who wants to praise the Lord, sing up praises, sing songs, preach the word of God, wants to praise the Lord with the mouth and with the same tongue pronounce evil upon another soul. It doesn't work, man. It does not work, okay? In this case, the love of God is not even on the block you live in if that be the, the situation in your life. You see, this is where the fear enters in, in our life. When this happens, when we speak evil about or towards someone you know what happens the devil hears that he goes oh look at that evil kelton just said boy he just cursed that that brother and that sister in christ he said come on boys we got us one hook line and sinker he goes we got us one i looked this up uh, matter of fact I actually found it in uh, the daily bread i had known about it but i wanted some details there are cranes which inhabit the, uh, the, the Tarsus Mountains in southern, southern Turkey. And uh, these cranes tend to cackle loudly as they fly. It's natural to them. It's how they do. As they fly, they make this loud squawking. I'm not going to mimic it. This loud squawking, this loud uh, um, just cackling sound when they fly. And, uh, you know, they, they do it all the time, but especially when they fly. Kelton probably knows about these type of birds. And all that noise gets the attention of what? It gets the attention of the eagles. And the eagles hear them, they swoop down, they seize upon them for a meal. Now the experienced cranes avoid the threat by picking up stones such as gravel and putting it in their mouth. They fill their mouth with it, and this prevents them from cackling, or at least muffles the sound, and it protects them from becoming lunch of the eagles. Now this is what Solomon said, the wisest man on the planet. 
He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life. But he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Beloved, when the devil hears our words, if they are evil, if they are things that ought not so to be, as James said, he sends his devils after us, knowing that we have a, a problem of speaking evil of, of those things that are made in the image of God. Speaking evil of those who the Lord loves and died for. Speaking evil of those who have no problem running down a rabbit hole of sin or life. If you have no problem in cursing and speaking evil of those that were made in the similitude of God, the devil knows that you'll, know, you'll have no problem in running down the road of sin in your life. That's why James makes it very clear that if you can't bridle the tongue, you ain't bridling your body. That the tongue is a world of iniquity and it defileth the whole body. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 6 says, A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calleth for strokes. This goes the same thing with typing or texting as well. So before you think, well, I may not say it, I can text and type. Devil can see those too, amen? He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He can't be all places at all times. And guys, you know what? He doesn't know all things at all times. But I'm telling you, when you let the cat out of the bag, he knows it and hears it, amen? I heard a preacher one time that said that, you know, praying in silence sometimes is more protective for you than it is anything because the devil don't know. He can't read your mind. And at first I was like, man, that sounds silly. And after I got praying, I started praying in silence. I thought, man, the devil don't need to know that. Amen. Some of you guys, if you're not careful, that texting or that phone in general is going to destroy your marriage, your ministry. It's going to destroy your home. In one of Aesop's fables, the donkey walking through the woods finds a, the skin of a lion. Hunters had killed the lion, and they had left it out in the sun to, to dry. And the donkey put on the lion's skin and was delighted to discover that as, as all the other animals were terrified of him, they ran away. He's rejoicing in his newfound respects, and you know, the donkey decided to bray in happiness only to give himself away by his voice. What's the moral of Aesop's fable on that one? The moral was clear. Fine clothes may disguise, but silly words will disclose a fool. So lastly tonight, guys, what do we find? What do we find in the midst of this tongue, this tongue that is full of deadly poison, uh, this tongue that is a fire, a world of iniquity? We find that there we need to evaluate our flow. Look at verse 11 now with me and read the verse 13. It says, Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a, a vine fig? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out a, a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Now, guys, listen. I grew up on the coast of South Florida. We had water everywhere. We had the salt water in the Gulf. We had the fresh water way on in, way on in the inland. And in between those two things are tributaries, right? And within those tributaries, what did we have? We had what's called brackish water. You say, well, what's brackish water, Pastor? That's ah, a little bit sweet. It's a little bit salty. Do you know the thing you always taste in brackish water? It ain't the sweet. It's always the salty. You're never going to find a, a, a fountain. You're never going to find a river, a lake, that is going to be able to bear both at the same time without having evidence of it. My friend, I'm here to tell you tonight that a tree produces the fruit of what it is. 
So does our communication. And because the seeds of discord that you may drop in the church, in your home, in the community, if they are meant to tear down another individual, the Bible calls you a scorner, and you may be in danger of being cast out. That is the problem that we find with our communication because words build the world. And wise words are used by a wise man or woman who's able to show out of the good conduct and character of their heart meekness of wisdom, both listening and speaking. And yet when the mouth, guys, is opened, it is filled with words that edify and, yes, exhort at times, but not with silly little stories or words meant only to lift up themselves. So, beloved, we learn that our communication is vitally important. And you're going to learn more by listening than you ever will by thinking of a response or speaking when you shouldn't or speaking in ways that interrupt and hurt and cause pain. Communication is key to our society, guys. Words are tools. They're either tools of destruction or they're tools of construction. One of the two, and the choice of how and what we say, when we say it and where we say it. Guys, it's no one else's choice but our own. We want to have power and control in our life. You've got the power of what you say. Nobody is making you say anything that you don't want to say tonight, tomorrow, next week, next month, wherever it may be. The choice, my friend, is yours. Communicate well, communicate wisely, and communicate so that you may win someone to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We you bow your heads tonight? Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time for our evening this evening. I thank you for the message tonight. Pray that you apply it to our hearts. Lord, we ask you as we go throughout the rest of our service tonight, even in the updates of the, of the mission letter and our prayer meeting to follow, I just simply ask you this evening that if you will, bear witness upon our hearts. Lord, let us be mindful. Let us not soon forget what we've heard this evening. Lord, I just pray that we would give you all glory, honor, and praise. I pray that what we say tonight uh, would bring honor to you. I pray that what we say tomorrow, Father, would be representative of who and what we are as a child of God. So, Lord, we love you. We ask all these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.